Welcome to Under the Blanket, where we are in the heart of Miraji, the blanket-wearing guru, deep in his heart, seeing Ram everywhere. It is all one, and I am here with my guest host, Jagadesh. Jagadesh has Miracle of Love with him, and we're going to read some classic stories of our guru and comment on how they pertain to our current situation our current dharma, our current uh, karma, and he will flip to a random one. Take it away, Jagadish. Hey, everyone. All right, so I hope everybody's feeling all right today. Um, Maharaji's sending his blessings, so we're going to see what he has to say. Open up Miracle of Love. Ram, 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 Ram. Alright, looks like it's a Ram Dass story. In 1968, when I was leaving for America, Hari Das gave me his mala that he had worked with for years. The beads were large and dark from handling and were made from the stem of the sacred tulsi plant. At the time, he told me that Maharaji had given him the beads many years earlier. Oh, how I treasured those beads. I wore them daily and slept with them at night, using them as a constant reminder of the Sri Ram mantra that was at times like a lifeline connecting me to the spiritual oxygen I craved. And then one night in 1971, when I was back in India, a group of us were walking up to the Hanumangar temple, which is about a mile from Nanital. When we were there staying while visiting Kanchi, when we were staying, where we were staying, while visiting Kanchi. We had various drums and cymbals and were chanting as we went. I was playing a set of cymbals that apparently the cymbals caught the string of the beads and broke it. It was evening and in the darkness. I failed to notice as one after another of the beads fell along the wayside. When I did finally notice 20 or more of the sacred number of 108 beads were missing. I was heart sick and searched the next day along the road, but found none of the beads. I had never seen big beads like those before, and I didn't know how to go about replacing them. So I asked Maharaji. First, he denied ever having given them to Haridas, though I didn't believe his denial. And then he said that those beads were no good anyway. He said I could get it, get the right beads from Sita Rambaba in Ayodhya. In Alabad, in Alabad, many months earlier, Maharaji had instructed me to see a holy man named Sita Rambaba, of whom I've never heard. Apparently, that had been a foreshadowing of this moment. I had never visited Ayodhya, Ayodhya the seat of Ram's kingdom, and thought of getting spiritual, special beads from a special Baba at the instructions of my guru was the delight, delight of a spiritual materialist like me. Within a day, I was on a train bound for Ayodhya. The first matter of business upon arriving, arrival was to get the right seat to Ram Baba. Maharaji had said he was old, so it shouldn't be too difficult. Shouldn't be too difficult. But as I roamed the streets in Tonga with my bad Hindi, it was not easy. After several hours, I directed. I was directed to a house a mile or so out of town. A fellow in his twenties, standing at the gate, said that Sita Ram Baba was his uncle, but was taking rest. Perhaps I could come back later. But like Hanuman, I was not going to be deterred, and I said that I would sit outside until he would see me. 
It was very hot outside, but my resolve was firm. Apparently, the boy told his uncle, for within a few minutes, I was ushered in. Sitaram lay on a hammock, and he was very old indeed. His nephew said that he was 128 years old, and he looked every day of it. His skin was transparent, and his his hands skeletal, and his voice but a whisper. He acknowledged knowing Maharaji and said that I could return at sundown. I was disappointed, for I was eager to get the beads and get back to Maharaji, and it almost looked as if Sita Ram was too old and feeble to help me anyway, but there was nothing to do but wait. So I left, deciding to visit the famous Hanuman Murti in Ayodhya. But as the Tonga started down, down the street and had gone perhaps 50 meters, I looked back and there was Sita Ram Baba literally running after the Tonga. He jumped abroad and said we would get the beads now. I was delighted yet concerned lest the ride be too much for the old man. Now that he was up and moving, however, he seemed to be stronger and filled with more life force. But the next disappointment came when we arrived at the shop where the beads were supposed to be. It was closed. He said there was nothing to do but return in the evening. So we turned to go back to his house. But... About a hundred meters down the road, we met the shopkeeper, and Sita Ram prevailed upon him to return to the shop. Once at the shop, I felt the goal was in sight. The shopkeeper showed me Sita Ram Baba several malas, but in each case, though I thought them beautiful, Sita Ram Baba rejected them as not the ones. Then he spoke at length to the shopkeeper, who suddenly lit up and went to a desk and opened a teeny drawer that was in a dusty and unused corner. I was thrilled, for it was just like the occult books that had such such things occurred. But the beads he brought out were cheap-looking, garnishly painted in orange or green, and had been crudely carved with Sanskrit symbols of Sita and Ram on each bead. I had seen such cheap beads in many places and was always put off by them. But Sita Ram said these were the beads, so I brought three strands. So I bought three strands for about 50 cents each and smiled gamely. Then I returned Sita Ram to his house, thanked him, caught the afternoon train, and returned to Maharaji's feet the next morning. When I arrived, Maharaji asked about the beads, and I laid them before him. And he said, those aren't the beads. I'll have to get them for you myself. But he never did. Oh, Ram. yeah, I, uh, that's a really good lesson there. Wow. Like, I take it as it makes me think of that uh, book that I never read it, but I learned about his teachings. Trungpa Rinpoche wrote a book in response to the 70s when a lot of people were getting into yoga and gurus and meditation more than ever before. And he wrote a book called Spiritual Materialism in response to that, you know, because everybody had the crystals and they had the beads and they had the style and they had this, the dreadlocks, whatever it is. And. You know, uh, they were forgetting the message of the spiritual is beyond attachments, is beyond material things. It's uh, consciousness. And he was like responding to that. Now, does that mean you throw away all your crystals into a river and don't have any beads or whatever? No. Like what I do is like I have uh, mala beads that I wear around my wrist, but some days I don't wear them and some days I do. And that's how I deal with uh, attachments that might grow from it or not grow from it. And I think that's a really good message because look. You know, they obviously work. You have the beads, and all of a sudden you do your mantra, and then you get really high from it, and you feel really spiritual. So they do work, but when you get attached to it and get caught up into, I need these beads to get calm, then you're missing the message. You know, it's like not about getting attached. It's about letting go of attachments, working on ourselves, not getting more attached by having 
these special beads that were blessed by blah blah blah. Even though that works, the ultimate goal is to give up that attachment. So mm. that's my take on that story. I think it's a profound message. Like even today, a lot of spiritual communities are obsessed with crystals or beads or it has to be this frequency on YouTube, 430, mm. whatever, you know, but it's like, come on, you know, it's all wrong. It's all God. So right. you can take a shit and wear it around your neck and you could get high from that potentially. So Jagadesh, what's your take on the story? Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. Uh, it was like Maharaji's subtle way of uh, teaching detachment to Ramdas. Um, he thought he had some special secrets uh, power beads, and then Maharaji told him that he didn't even give Haridas those beads. And then, and then Ramdas is like, "Oh no, man, I need the real beads, you know." And Maharaji played his games and said, "Yeah, you want these beads? Go, go to this faraway place and go to this old man and do all this, and it's gonna be easy." And it wasn't easy. And then he didn't. And then he got these beads, and he didn't even like them. And he's like, "But these must be the beads." And then he goes, you know, this is like the whole thing. It's just, it's like, it's like God will let us do what we want to do. Ultimately, like we can do whatever we want and we can be attached to whatever we want. But, you know, it's like we decide how long we want to draw that out. <laughs> and Ram Dass was, he had good intentions, but his, his, his realness. And that's why I resonate with him a lot, because I think we all have gone through similar things to some degree or another um you know like i can get attached to uh doing sadhana if, then if what happens if i don't do it and it's like oh no do i let that throw off my whole day or do i realize it's just in the next breath you know it's just in the next breath that i can come back to the moment and then i you know you know would use whatever whatever tool ram whatever that's always going on but you know inside it but you know we never listen and we never pay attention to the moment and and we want something special and magical and, you know, and it's, it is the ironic irony of it, right, Eric, is that, like, it's always here. So, yeah, go play your games and go do what you want to do, but you're going to eventually have to come to the realization that it's nothing outside of yourself that is going to help you uh, become whole to, to find peace. So, yeah. But uh, Yeah, and that's what I like about our guru as well. Is like, I feel like when, I, when people that really get involved with Raji – his teachings are through shit that happens. I mean, I find all this stuff happens in this like legalist sort of way where I'll find myself getting attached to something or whatever. And then the situation will come up and it's kind of has a cosmic humor to it. Like Ram Dass, like he was getting all upset about the beads. And then Miraji's like, I didn't even give him the beads. You know, it was real <laughs> that sense of humor. I love that. And that's what drew me to Miraji is that way of, you know, being involved with him. And then he teaches through all those sorts of, ways instead of just being like you know Eckhart Tolle not putting down Eckhart Tolle where he's like yeah just be now it's about now and he gives the same sort of thing but it's it's a lot different than and I'm not putting down Eckhart Tolle for Tolle fans out there I really like him I'm just saying I'm not drawn to that particular like dogma uh different same way of saying things over and over I like a guru that's playful and more teaches through you know being the whole universe you know that's just how I deal with it you know, so how about you read another story? We have time for yeah. one more, right? Yeah. Uh, and I and I, just one more thing on that note, like the guru, like a guru like Maharaji or like Amma, it's like they are, they they teach these lessons in such subtle ways and through through your experience and they and they but like the lessons are way deeper. Like what Ramdas got out of that was probably a lifetime of lessons. You know, it's just amazing. And that's the power of the guru. 
Okay, so here we go. I just opened one. Word reached Maharaji from the Pujari priest in Kanpur that the new Murti was not yet consecrated, had been broken. Maharaji and some of us immediately set out for Kanpur, driving all night. I felt that by this intensity, Maharaji was teaching the discipline of sticking to something. There was to be no sleep until Ram's work was done. I tried to slow Maharaji down. However, by quoting the proverb, don't travel at night and don't be idle at noon. Maharaji said the same principle doesn't apply in every situation. When we arrived, we found that the murti was no longer broken. Then Maharaji told a story of the saint Ramakrishna in which the Durga, an aspect of the Divine Mother, Murti, had been broken, and Ramakrishna did puja to it and sang to it, and soon it was all fixed. Yeah, okay, so that, you know, a miracle story, and those stories are neat. Like, uh, I like, um, I'm trying to think, I, I think I told the the Be Here Now miracle where the pages turned by themselves on my birthday, so I'm trying to think of another um uh, miracle, but I, nothing's coming to my mind right away. So, you know, it's like miracles are great. They like increase our faith in the possibilities of spirituality and so on and so forth. The issue is we have to remember the miracle that's happening now. If we get caught up in these magical things that happen, no matter how great they are and how amazing they are, and we see them right before it, like I saw be here now, turn by itself with Elise. We both saw it turn by itself. After I asked for it on my birthday, I'm like, Maraji, give me a miracle for my birthday. And the page turned by itself and blah, blah, blah. And that's all great. But if I get attached to that kind of experience and forget about the miracle of right now, of what's happening now. Like if I'm taking a shit now, that's just as miraculous as a murti being healed. That's my temple. The toilet is my temple. My offering is the shit dropping into the toilet. That's my offering to the feet of the guru. The guru is the toilet. And that's the sacred magical miracle. You know, if we don't see the mundane as divine, we're missing it. If we don't see the soap bubbles on our feet as God, we are missing it. It's right here. It's right now. So wake up. So what's your take on the story? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, he talks about Ramakrishna. Uh, you know, Maharaji, uh, you know, my friend was talking about how Hinduism is not just a cultural phenomenon. It's actually a science. And it's just like the science of yoga. It's just like the science of physics. Um, all these things that uh, people see from the outside of the Hinduism that probably turns them away is worshiping uh, statues. And uh, and my friend quoted uh, his guru, Krunamai, about that. He, he said that, um, you know, you have a, a picture of your home, of your family. You, you have the picture hanging in your house of your family, but you know that that's not your real family. It represents who your family is. So the same thing with these these statues, like this Hanuman Murti and this Durga Murti, which are statues that they're talking about, that Maharaji had an affinity for. Um, you know, they actually came to life because they saw God in it to the degree that it's like like you what you're saying you see God in anything and everything is God but like if you focus on one object and you really call that vibration of say Hanuman or Durga it's been my experience that through some science it's a science and some miraculous power like that that manifestation of the divine manifests itself so 
you know, Maharaji, the, the, the Murti was broken, but his intensity to get there and, and get it fixed, it was like it was like a living being to him. So then he talks about Ramakrishna, say, just doing worship to the statue of Durga, just doing worship in the in the statue itself fixed. And like you said, it's a miracle story, but there's a science behind uh, behind it. Uh, these these ancient seers of, of India didn't come up with these mantras out of the blue. They were they were received um, from from sadhana and from like they you know they they were received from the the, the source these vibrations yeah, it's from the source. Uh, all these uh, unexplainable miracles can actually be explained through certain uh, takes on quantum physics. There's this guy Dr. Amit Goswami who looked into all this stuff and he says quantum physics proves one consciousness and that all these miracles and past lives and all that kind of stuff is easily explainable by quantum theory. So that's pretty amazing. As far as Hinduism goes, I'm with Krishnamurti. I think if you define yourself as a religion, as a culture, I'm American, I'm Christian, or I'm Russian, and I'm Hindu, or I'm Buddhist, you're, you're committing an act of violence. You're separating yourself from the rest of humanity. Mm-hmm. You're getting that cult group mentality. And look at Miraji. Was he a religious guy? No. He would do this sort of from this religion and from that religion. He'd, he'd talk about Christ. He'd talk about Buddha. He'd, you know, if we get caught up in religion, you miss the essence of spirituality and you're just another cult member, you know, carrying your flag or your religion, committing act of violence in your own mind by mm-hmm. separating yourself from humanity. So I never think of myself as a religion, although I respect people that do that. I do think is an act of violence to define yourself as a religion. And I think that's a tough one for a lot of people to swallow because they want to be us versus them, the Hindus versus the not Hindus, the Christians versus the not Christians. Ah, it's all bullshit. There is no us versus them. I think the it's all the, us. Yeah, I think the act of violence is when you say I'm my religion's right and yours is wrong. I I don't have any problem with people identifying themselves, putting a label on themselves or whatever. They're Ishta Devatas. They call it like your chosen form of God. You know, have that or your guru. But don't the, the the violence comes in when we say mine is right and yours is wrong, and that's what creates the separation. I don't think necessarily the label itself is just a label. It, it's just like the form. It's just a form, but it's not truly the essence. It's not what's holding it all together. But uh, so that's the, recognizing the essential unity and underlying concepts of all religions. I think that's a big necessity for people to kind of. <clears throat> figure out you know and not not see the relationships and then not see the differences because it's creating separation so yeah awesome dude we have time for one more story so uh okay maraji guide him guide his hand give us one more story ram 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 I was, a, I was the station master at Mount Abu, and Maharaji had promised to come there sometime. When I was off duty, it was my policy never to go into the station. But this one day, I had been in a long conversation with a friend, and as I left, I wanted somehow to break my policy by cutting through the station in order to save time getting home. Just as I got into the station and was rushing through, the Bomba, Bombay Mail arrived, and there was Maharaji tapping at the window. You know, that was a short story. And, okay, uh, uh, what's your take on it? 
so it's yet another miraculous thing that can't be understood by the mind that Maharaji did. Uh, so this guy never walked a certain way, and uh, he he was he 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 was promised by Maharaji that he would come sometime, and uh, you know he just just happened. It was just some random day, and 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 he did something very unusual, something like told him to go this way instead of that way, a way he never goes, and lo and behold, look who's there, it's Maharaji. So it's like Maharaji is sneaky like that. <laughs> he was a playful character, uh, but he had he you know this chapter is called Key to the Mind. So you know this is like he he would uh, do things that define rational thinking. And uh, and he would do it in subtle ways that would blow the minds of the individual, you know, and just uh, increase their uh, capacity to, to like kind of see the mystery in him. Like, who is this man, this man, this old man in a blanket? Who Who is he really? You know, it's like, how does he do these things? You know? He's me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but, you know, it's like that, that made me think of a miracle uh, when I was trying to think of a miracle story before. I just thought of one. Uh, I was reading, it was years and years ago, and I was reading this book on tantric sex, and I was getting really into it, but I was, like, thinking too much about it. My mind, like, you're talking about the mind, mm -hmm. I was over-intellectualizing it. All of a sudden, I swear to God, this fart machine was sitting right next to me, the button facing up. Now, you have to push the button down on the fart machine to get it to fart. And never before, or never since then, the fart machine went off by itself as right at the same time that I got a, a blinding vision of Miraji in my third eye where he was laughing and I just got what Tantra is about. It's just like anything else. You could use sex, you could use uh, drugs, you could use uh, the grass, you could use uh, uh, taking a shit, whatever you do, use it all, all of it to wake up. It's all about awakening to who we really are. We are not the physical body. We are the whole universe. We are all the universes. We are formless. We are form. And we must realize ourselves, especially in these dire times. We can't just slack off like we did for the last 100,000 years or whatever. We got to wake up. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it's especially important to realize when we have things that come, desires that are avert, averting us from the present moment. Uh, attraction and aversions, you know, that, uh, or like, say you don't feel good, you have anger. Like today, I didn't feel so good when I woke up, you know? It's like, so what do you do? You you change your mind, you change the way you think, you, or you, you, you try to be present. But I mean, if nothing else, you try to change the, the negative, the negative turmoil that's going on in your mind. You try to change a thought, move a muscle, you know, it, it talk to somebody. It's not it's not always easy, but it's a red flag when when uh, when you're uh, agitated. It's a red flag. That means I'm not being present. That means I need to come back to the present moment. I need to go back to the, the, the mantra. I need to do whatever to get myself centered, you know, to uh, to realize that, you know, I'm getting trapped in the illusion again, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, I, I think uh, it is all God. But it's really hard to see it as God. It's easy to see it as God when everything's going great and everything's beautiful and everything's blissful. But that doesn't last because everything's changing. So, you know, it's like one day you're not going to feel the same as the next. So but we got to keep being persistent and we got to make effort, like you said, in these times, especially in these times, you know, um, 
there's a lot of different things being said by a lot of different people that I respect right now that, uh, you know, and I mean, the same message is coming through everywhere. Pray and meditate, pray and meditate. So, um, yeah. It yeah, is all God, but we got to pray. I, uh, when the, when uh, good circumstances are happening, I know that in my past, when things are going well, it's a sunny day. I took a good shit in the morning. I feel like I ate a good meal. I did some nice meditations. Yeah, I could see it all as God. But the minute I stub my toe or have a toothache, I'm like, fuck you, God. You know, it's like, no, I got to see it and up and the down to really be free. I can't push away the down to be in the up. Then I'm not truly free. Being free is beyond up and down. And I got to learn that lesson as much as we all do. Mm. And we're running out of time. It's getting near the end of the show. So I thought we could end. If you could do a little chant and our listeners can uh, chant along. Okay, I'm going to uh, invoke Guru Ganesh and the Divine Mother. So, Om Shuklam Rudam Vishnum Sashivarnam Jatur Bujam Prasannavarnam Dhyayit Sarva Vigno Apushantai Om Guru Brahma Guru Vishnu Guru Devo Maheshwaraha, Guru Saksha Param Brahma, Tasmai Shri Guru Venamaha, Om Sarva Mangala Mangaye, Shiva Savar Sarike, Savranye Trayambake Devi, Narayani Namostude, Om Shanti Shanti Shanti, Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha, Hari Om, Ram Ram, Hari Om Tatsa. Ram Ram, well... That this has been under the blanket with your host Baba Here Love and my guest host Jagadesh. Thank you all for listening and keep coming back and slip under the blanket with us. No, not in that way. See, I've been making this comment because a lot of my people have saying, well, under the blanket has sexual connotations, and that's because there's it's a sex obsessed culture. Of course, they think it's about sex. It's not <laughs> the it's the blanket guru. So to be under the blanket means we are the guru or we're in his heart under the blanket. Not <laughs> under, not everything under a blanket has to do with sex. So get over it, you sex-obsessed Freudian people. For your, for your information, I never thought that once. It's kind I, of funny. I, this came up <laughs> with uh, one guest I had, brand new, and he brought that up. And I never had thought of that. But he brought up that it sounded uh, you know, sexual. But that's his problem. He's a great guest, and he was Does just he know about funny, Baba? and it was funny, yeah. It's about Baba. Yeah, we know that, but I'm saying not everybody is familiar with the blanket guru in spiritual <laughs> circles, so yeah. <laughs> we know that. Anyway, wow. everybody, have a great day, and keep listening to Under the Blanket.